Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Marco Barrio on the show. And I mean, I always say, you know, it's a good show. It's a great show. But this was really, really interesting, especially to me, because I am a total novice in note investing. So I'm just sitting here listening to Chi and Marco go back and forth like I'm watching, you know, television, basically, because I have no idea what's going on. Otherwise, it was a great show. Chi, what are your thoughts? Oh, I loved it, obviously. I know Marco from the Node Investing World, and uh, he really has carved out a really nice niche for himself in the seller financed world. And I think he just has such a, I think he was meant to be a teacher. You know, I didn't tell oh, him absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he's meant to be a teacher because even his um, emails that we talked about that he sends out on Sundays, the the seller finance Sunday tidbits, they're just so full of knowledge and like the thick, meaty slices of knowledge that we love here yeah. on this podcast. And so, I mean, if you're ever interested in getting into seller financing or notes in general, he you got to listen to this episode. He really breaks it down real, real nice for us. So, well. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. A quick programming note, Dre will not be able to join us today, but she and I will be holding it down in his absence and hopefully we'll do a good enough job that he'll be proud of us. But with no further ado, let me welcome you guys to the show. And first off, I'd like to ask you, Chi, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. We uh, recently closed on a $1.3 million note. So that was wow. pretty exciting. Yeah. And i um, been closing on a few other deals uh, the past couple of weeks. So feeling good about it. Feeling good about it. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, we are missing Dre again today, but I actually got a chance to hang out with him last night. Um, a, I'm sorry, she, it was a really late invite. I swear you were my first call. We did not have enough time. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> it was it was a, um, a multifamily meetup um, actually hosted by one of our previous podcast guests, Ramsey Blankenship. He has a group called Middle Class to Millionaires, and it's basically a group that is catered more towards veterans. And, um, you know, he helps along with other people in a group, veterans invest in real estate, gain that financial freedom that we all love so much. You know, Dre was invited to come and speak and and he told me to come in, come in as well. And and it was a fun time, very fun time. So it's always great to go to events like that, talk to other people like we're gonna do right now that are in real estate because it gets you gets you fired up and ready to go. Yeah. Yep. I'm actually going to one tonight. So I know exactly what you mean. And I saw Marco on a, a call, I think it was two nights ago as well, like at a Zoom call. So yep. I love going to those Rias. They they give you so much information and all the right connections. So, yep, yep. So you know, quick lesson to all you guys out there: if you're you know in the grind, you know, trying to make sure you're a self starter, get around other real estate investors because they will lift you up by knowledge or by spirit. But without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Marco Barrio, to the show. He transitioned from a career in Hollywood TV and film, which is quite interesting, to a career in real estate. And he now is a real estate investor, a real estate note investor, to be very specific. And he is the president of Porch Swing Funding. So, Marco, welcome to the show. Um, you know, tell our guests, or our audience, a little bit about yourself, how you got into the real estate industry and what you do today. Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, Ike, thanks for having me. Uh, nice to meet you. And she, nice to see you. She and I go back a little bit. 
We're both Southern California real estate investor brats, I guess, and <laughs> got to know each other when, back when meetups were in person. And, um, and, and she was just saying it was, uh, it was, um, John Chomps, uh, um, well, not his meeting, but he was a guest at an LA Rio meeting the other night. John Chomps, one of my favorites. He wrote a book called, um, building wealth one house at a time that I always fall back on. It's so simple. Um, there are a lot of complex ways to make money as a real estate investor. And a lot of them are just fun. And I'll talk about what I do, which is a little, little different than what, than the path some people follow. But John's method is so simple. It's just go buy a house every year. And in general, the formula sort of works when you have 10 and they're all free and clear and almost any market. If you do the math and just figure out the cash flow on 10 good free and clear, uh, income properties. It's hard to have a bad life at that point. You can certainly add on top of that, but so I love the simplicity of his, his presentations. Um, so, yeah, so I'm in Southern California. I'm a full-time real estate investor. I'll, I'll talk specifically about what I do. I buy seller financed, uh, real estate notes from mom and pop investors all over the country. But, um, I started in Southern California. Well, grew up on the East coast, went to school in Boston, studied uh, television production and came to Los Angeles. And I worked in the entertainment industry for, like, as you mentioned, for a long time. And, uh, every year in the entertainment industry feels like two or three. Um, it's an industry full of people you meet in their early thirties and think maybe they're already in their fifties. It ages <laughs> us pretty well. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm younger than I look, who knows? <laughs> no, I used to work on, um, I started out working on television shows in the production office. So I, pushed a lot of schedules and budgets and, and, uh, catering setups around. And then I switched to a big post-production company called Technicolor. We provided post-production services. So I was more on the technical side, well, on the, on the management side of that. Um, but that was my first exposure to becoming an entrepreneur. And I learned that I liked it, um, because it's the first time I was ever responsible for budgets and profit and income statements. So it was interesting to me. And I knew that at that point I wanted to do something. It was entrepreneurial and through some changes that were happening, Technicolor and in the industry in general, it was, it was time for me to reinvent again after I'd already been in production side and, and then got more of a corporate job. Thankfully, I don't, I still can't tell you why I had this idea, but I thought that I wanted to do something that ultimately I could do from anywhere. So I set out to, to sort of find myself, if you will, re rediscover myself professionally. Um, I tried some different startups. I, one day, and, and she knows these folks, one day I walked into a, a real estate meetup down in, um, in, uh, El Segundo, Manhattan beach area. It was for investors, by investors and, uh, Dave Coe and, and Matt Owens were, were running that meeting. And, um, I said, man, this is really neat. I don't remember what the topic was that night. It might've been multifamily investing in fact. And one of the first deals I ever invested in as a passive investor was with, um, with Matt and with a guy named Hunter Thompson, who was involved with that group. And so I started investing in, in multifamily and well, different types of commercial syndications because I had some retirement money and Dave Coe had taught me how I could convert those funds into something self-directed and, and invest passively in some investments. And, and I, and, and that was really neat. I got to learn through the underwriting process on those deals a little bit about the different business lines. First, it was self-storage facilities and it was mobile home communities and then, you know, multifamily and, 
And I can't say I'm qualified to operate any of those, but I got the bug because I got to look, peek under the hood a little bit to learn about those operations. And, and as you know, and I'm sure you talk on this podcast, ultimately the, the investment is with the sponsor, the people running the deal. Yep. Um, very true. And then I, I know I have to feel comfortable with it too, but um, so that was, that was phase one, but after going to a few of those meetings, four or five months worth, um, you know, that first month I was going to invest in the, the multifamily syndications that were probably the topic that month. And then the next month might have been house flippers and <laughs> the next month, I don't know, Airbnb, but virtual rental, but, um, at month five, I thought, you know, I better pick something. Uh, it tends to happen going <laughs> to the different meetups. After, after each, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a panel of note investors. Um, it was, I can't remember everybody on the panel, but Gerald Lemoyne was there who helped me out early on and he was buying non-performing seconds, non-performing junior leads. And he and a few Southern California, I mean, all over the country, but there was a nice little pocket of really, really successful early adopters in that space, pioneers in that space, I would say, who bought these junior liens for pennies on the dollar, um, and did really well. I mean, you know, guys like Ellis San Jose tell stories about walking into the back office of a bank saying, can I look at your non-performing <laughs> junior leads? They're like, why would you want to look at those? Sure. You can look at those <laughs> 10 cents on the dollar and they. They were, they were doing pretty well. So that was my first exposure into note investing. Um, I don't know if you want to stop me there. I can keep talking. For yeah. I mean, there a are a few, there are a few pieces from what you, what you just sort of outlined that, that I think we could, we could harp on. And, uh, the first being, you know, one man's trash can be another man's treasure, apparently <laughs> in, in regards to some of those first notes that you guys, uh, were able to take down. But there was something you said that was extremely key early on, um, and it, that was that real estate can be as simple as just go buy a house every year. I feel like a lot of times, you know, with podcasts and different books and different content out there, for someone that's new in this business, it seems so difficult and it seems so complex, where in reality, if you simply, like you said, go and buy a house every year for five, ten 15 years, you will do just fine in terms of, you know, your cash flow eventually and the value that you have created for yourself after paying down your mortgages or possibly experiencing some appreciation will create generational wealth for your family. So for those of you out there that aren't, you know, super into the weeds on real estate, that's fine because you can do just as well as others by simply buying a house every year. Uh, so that, that was, that was really cool, but I, I'd like for you to um, chat a little bit more about your current business model. Now you say you do seller financing with mom and pop, um, investors. Can you, can you dive a little deeper into that so we can understand the mechanics of your business? Sure. I'll continue. I got my feet wet buying these not performing junior liens. And part of the reason I chose it, honestly, is I wanted, I, sometimes I use the analogy of Houdini who would say to, I don't know, his assistant or whoever, okay, handcuff me, wrap me in chains, throw me in this tank of water, lock the lid of the thing. And I'm going to figure out how to get out of it. And of course, he kind of had an idea how he was going to get out of it. It's a delusion, right? But as note investors, especially buying these not performing assets, I always had an idea how I would get out of it, but I was surprised more often than not as to what really happened. Oh, for sure. The borrower is going to want to, to make this, you know, accept my offer for a loan modification and make it perform again and 
And that world, just oversimplify it for people listening. It's, it's like house flipping, except we do it with paper instead of property. We take something that needs some love and there's an opportunity, hopefully, to, to bring it back into the performing realm. And then it's worth more money, just like the house that gets new carpet and paint and update the kitchen. It's worth more money. It's a similar analogy. Uh, but some of them turn into taking back property. Anyway, I, I did that for a while. And as things happen, you know, Wall Street starts to learn that that boy, there's money in these things that are in the back room of the bank that Ellis uh, <laughs> had to discover way before they did. And others, a few others, and they got into that world and big money started flowing in there. And also the junior lean market got a little thinner uh, because a lot of those came out of the 2008 crisis and there just wasn't volume anymore. So little guys like me, frankly, don't, I never want to be a big, big, big guy because I, I, I have a prior career working with studio executives and directors and producers and hundred plus million dollar films. And I, I don't want to go back into that <laughs> stuff. I was thinking about this. I, I prefer to deal with people who don't have a signature in their email. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm buying a note right now and the seller does not have a computer. So I need to contact somebody else who brings things to him, who he'll sign or we get on the phone and that it, it it's, I mean, it's, it's a different world out there and I love it. So that was the magnet that started to pull me in a new direction. I, it, it got a little harder to do what I was doing. I felt, gee, I'm dealing most of the time with attorneys and loan servicers and property preservation specialists. And, um, I'd go to some meetups and I'd hear people who were out buying houses, just sitting down at people's kitchen tables to make deals. That sounds really nice. <laughs> you know, in, in, in the consumer credit regulated world of lending, I was afraid to talk to the borrowers who owed money on their loans because they could turn litigious very fast. And there are a lot of regulations. Some people do, but I, I didn't. So I started to take, continue my education. I still do today. And I took some education that led me in the direction of marketing to mom and pops who sell property, but carry back the financing. So. I'm sure you both know that, but for listeners, it's, it's as simple as this. If I sell my house to Chi, uh, Chi can go to Wells Fargo or Quicken Loans or somewhere like that and get her financing and bring a down payment to closing. Plus the check from the, that will come in from one of the most big institutional lenders. And that's called institutional lending or institutional paper as we say paper or she and I can work together and, and figure out terms between us. I can say, you know, I'd be happy with a 10% down payment. And she like, I can do that. And then just pay me the rest of the installments with interest over time. So it's as simple as two people. It's Main Street, not Wall Street. It's as simple as two people working out the terms. You know, you tell your, the attorney or the title company, whoever's going to draw paperwork, what it's going to be, but, but it's that simple. And then when we close our transaction. I no longer own property. She owns the property now, but I own paper. And it's just a different type of asset that could be bought or sold. So what happens in the world that I live in now are these nice mom and pop people without a signature on their email address. <laughs> they collect payments for a while and something changes in their life. I hear all kinds of people's personal stories. I often deal with people who are a little bit older. I mean, Think about it. A 22 year old hasn't had the time to buy a house, 
live in a house, raise the family, sell the house, and then carry back the financing. I'm not talking to too many young people. So, so the people I deal with, I, I deal with a fair number of, of widows. Uh, husbands passed away. They had sold a house and carried back the note. They'd been collecting on it for a while. And now at this point, you know, the check comes in every month. And I think of my husband, who I miss very much. And, um, and also, by the way, now that he's gone, I mean, I'd been taking care of him for the last five years. Now we're going to do some traveling. I want to go see the grandkids. So there's some motivation behind it. And I get to do that thing that these people I admire were doing where they were sitting. I do it on the phone, but essentially sitting with, with the sellers at the kitchen table. And I say, how can I help you? And they tell me how I can help them. And they tell me the story as to how they got where they are, which is a treasure for me and so different than the world I used to live in, uh, and a pretty fun way to make a living. So that's what I do. I, that's honestly a, probably one of the best explanations of seller finance yeah, that was great. I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, there's a few things there. Um, I, I love what you said about not wanting to be a big guy. And that kind of goes in line with the whole John Shaw, Mike Cantu, Gary Johnston folks, you know, flying under the radar. I kind of a, a, am of that same mindset as well, wanting to travel and just have that kind of freedom of lifestyle. And I really like how you've been able to really carve out a niche that works for you. Because for anybody who's in the note investing space, I, I would say that Marco has carved a really nice piece of the seller financing world for yourself. He sends out these emails, which later we should tell everybody how to get those emails that you send out, Marco. Seller Financing Sundays. And he has two tidbits. One and two, like, ways, I guess, what would you call them? Tips or learnings or lessons, basically, about seller financing notes? So nice little, little tidbits that have to do with, you know, seller financing can include buying seller finance notes, selling seller finance notes, buying houses using seller financing, and selling property with seller financing. So it some way or another it touches on any yeah. of those four yeah. topics. And then I had a I had a quick question for you. So you were saying you sit down at the the kitchen table. Is it the you actually go and sit down at people's kitchen tables or is it the program? Oh, that's what I'm saying. I wish I I wish I could. It's all on the phone for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I had a record yesterday. I had a record. I was on the phone. No, two days ago. I was on the phone with a seller for over an hour. I broke the hour. Wow. <laughs> that is yeah, so yeah. yeah. about her. She, I heard about her divorce. I heard about who she's married to now. I heard wow. about some of the, I heard a lot about this. We did, had nothing to do with the note. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's the best way to make a deal. You're building that relationship and they trust you and they're going to sell to you over anybody else, you know? But I, I wanted to know because, you know, I've purchased seller financing, no, finance notes, and I've also purchased institutional, institutionally originated notes. One of the biggest reasons why people buy institutionally originated notes is because the paperwork is more, how should I say this, uh, ironclad, you know, because they're made by attorneys who work for banks and banks have the money to make the best collateral. And so I'm curious, what are what is one of can you share some any collateral issues you've run into any collateral doozies or title doozies? Do you have any favorites? If you have any, actually, at all. Yeah, I don't have any doozies. Let me expand. Let me give the full picture of my business. I'm a, I'm a seller finance note buyer. Um, but in my business, I don't actually take ownership of every asset that I put under contract. Something else in common 
between what I do and people who, who buy houses from people is the people who buy houses from people are often wholesalers and they put the house under contract and then they assign that contract to somebody else who ultimately funds the deal, takes ownership of the asset. They pay a little bit more than I had the asset under contract for and I make money in that transaction. It's wholesaling. I just do it with paper, not property. There are a lot of things I do with paper that people do with property. But when I was still, I'm still learning, but um, when I was really coming up to speed on how to market, I started paying more attention to wholesalers in the property space as to how to reach people and how to talk to people. Because us noted, us, us note people tend to get kind of technical and caught up in spreadsheets. Yeah. And not so much of the people side of things. So I had to look elsewhere for that. And I found it's really the same, but different, it's more the same than different. So anyway, Chi, um, you were asking about collateral and I went in a totally different direction. Um, <laughs> what was the crap to me? Well, it, it sounds, it's, you know, I've purchased seller financed paper before and it looks very different than institutionally originated paper. So, but it sounds like though, that you haven't run into any issues of enforceability or anything like oh. that. Okay. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So the ones that I've never had to foreclose, I've never ended up in front of a judge or in any, any judicial or legal or any kind of process on any of the, any paper I bought. I just have that. Will I someday? Sure. Will that be tested someday? Sure. But one thing I did starting out, um, because I was brand new to the space because I worked with TV budgets and not real estate or real estate notes and nothing about anything is I found that. Not only did I need to earn some money, but I could really piggyback off of the experience buyers when I brought deals to them. So some of the buyers out there who buy seller finance paper are banks. And I found that I needed to know the financial calculator and I needed to know a bit about notes. I mean, to be fair. And then on the back end, I needed to, and then in the middle, I needed to make my phone ring. So I needed to be good at marketing and then ultimately talking to sellers. Okay, that's on me. That I had to work on, right? But on the back end, when I got into the paperwork and the title stuff and the closing, if I bring a deal to somebody and they've got a team of people who deal with title, legal, and all that stuff, I start to learn because I'm handling all these deals. I stay in the middle. I bring it to them. They say, okay, Marco, we need this for the pay history. And I say, okay, I know what pay history yeah. is. Can you, re can you really be specific about what, <laughs> what's acceptable here? Uh, because I'm telling you, they're going to send me something written on a napkin and you might not like it. So what do we really need from these people? Yeah. Um, or something comes back when they do a title search and the title report and Marco, we need to work on this. We need to get this cleared and help talking really small words and explain to me what you're talking about. So. My buyers in a way became my mentors and I started to get comfortable with the wackiness. And I do mean it. I mean, she, you're right. It's not 35, uh, Ivy league attorneys writing these contracts by any means. You're lucky if an attorney wrote the contract and you're lucky if the piggy history went through a loan service or who keeps records. I had most extreme example and we couldn't do anything with this deal as I asked somebody, um, you know, what kind of records he had for the, the payment, um, payments he received. And, um, he said, well, to be honest, um, the, 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 the buyer of the house, he's a, he's an auto mechanic and some months he just does work on my trucks for me. And that's fine. And I don't worry about the payments. 
That that explains a lot. Yeah. For, for, the, for the rest of our audience, um, I was actually, the fund and I were looking to buy some notes from Marco recently. And uh, that was something that came up. But our attorney was like, well, they need to have a pay history. And I was like, Marco, do you have a pay history? He's like, well, not exactly. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, yes, we, we need to figure out a workaround. But I like the way you approach things because you take a steadfast approach and you just kind of think, say, okay, well, let's, how can we work this out? Is there any way around it? Is there an affidavit that we can write up that says that the payments were made? Um, and then our attorney was like, well, just make sure they bring the payments current and then we can, then Texas will work with that. And so it's, it's always, like you said, Marco, it's a, in the node investing space, you never stop learning because it's always something new that comes up with statutes and laws and things like that. So, um, so yeah, but so it sounds like you, you know, you're staying in the middle. Do you ever hold any of these for yourself for cash flow? Absolutely. So over time, you know, two things happened for me. One, some of the, some of the, I had, I had a very good year last year. One of the, in particular, one of the commercial investments I had made in a syndication, um, we got a 10 X return on that. So I had some cash in the retirement account. I've been out shopping for, for notes. Marco's been buying notes, uh, which is great. Um, you know, the old, the old cash flow game, right? You buy the. For those who are cash flow fans, there's like these weird stock cards and you can buy shares of stock for whatever. And you're, and, and when I was new playing cash flow, I, if, if anyone hasn't ever played cash flow, the Robert Kiyosaki game inspired by rich debt, poor debt, but sometimes you buy these dumb little stock cards and they boom, you get some big payday on it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go buy a, a multifamily with that money. That's incredible. So I sort of had one of those moments. And on top of that, my note buying business is really busy right now. So it's generating income as well. So yes, I do. She, the, the Bill Tan, who's a mentor, she and I both know also, he kind of poked at me at one point recently, I told him I was doing really well making all these wholesaling fees with notes. He said, that's tip money. <laughs> so well, I was really proud telling my mentor I was doing well. And he kind of said, you're not doing well enough. That's tip money, Marco. You got to keep some for yourself. Ah. Yes, sensei. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm relatively new to, to seller financing. I haven't done any seller financing deals before, but I've been hearing a lot more about it lately. Um, I started recently following Pace Morby, a really, really uh, well-known person in the multifamily and, and single family space that, that specifically and only does seller financing. So I'm curious, you know, how big is the seller financing market? I guess that's my first question. And my second question, sort of a two-part deal here is, what, what's your strategy for marketing for you know, these opportunities? Sure. The first question, there is data on the size of the seller financing uh, real estate market. And that actually connects to where some leads come from. But every, every mortgage or deed of trust or in the seller finance world, we deal with those plus things called contract for deeds, land contracts, and all kinds of contracts, all kinds of names. But most of that gets recorded in, in county uh, off uh, records offices without a real estate record. So um, one, not me, but one has the ability to pull those records and sift through the stuff that doesn't say Bank of America and Goldman Sachs and blah, 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 blah. And, but it says, you know, Bill and Sally uh, Smith of uh, her, you know such and such Arkansas. Ah, that's probably a seller finance note. So, in tallying all those up, we know that in 2021, at most of the counties where the information could be pulled from, there's still them out there. You have to go look at three by five cards or whatever the 
system works, but, but most they can be accessed electronically. It was, it was about 90,000 seller finance transactions of those counties in 2021. Actually, I printed out the stats because I wanted to, wanted to have these available. The combined bat, and that was a, that was 2021. That was a 7% increase over the prior year. Remember what was happening in 2021. We were in that weird part of the pandemic where the real estate market was insane. People could list a house and have multiple offers in the first 24 hours and interest rates were so low. Yeah. There were seven, there was a 7% increase in seller finance transactions. And that same year, those balances totaled over $27 billion for those notes. Over the five years leading up to 2021, it was $123 billion of seller finance failure. Wow. So if a buyer like me just focused on the five years leading up to 2021, there's $123 billion, well, at origination, there was of paper out there. And you might ask, people like Pace and Warby, investors are all... It's, it's cool now to talk about seller financing when maybe it wasn't at one point, but you might think, well, gee, maybe house flippers or others are selling property and carrying back the financing because they want to get rid of the, the tenants, termites, and toilets of owning property, but they like the income. So maybe it's all the investors creating this paper. 84% of the notes in 2021 seller finance were one-off sellers. Wow. It's a little 84%. And you may also think, well, the down payments are probably bad in seller finance. I see notes, I see notes cheap, not just the paper. I see 0% interest rates. I see $0 down payments. It's all over. But the average down payment, and this surprised me even, in 2021 was 23%. So there's equity, there's volume, there's, there's inventory, there's a marketplace. And that was 2021. Now, where are we going? Now we're going, now we've gone to higher interest rates. We've gone to more days on market. In, 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 in the property markets, we've gone to higher debt to income ratios, meaning that buyers who are under contract were falling out of escrow because they can't meet the financing contingency. I never used to get calls from realtors. I'm getting calls from realtors now who are scared because they can't move property and they're trying to convince their clients to accept seller financing so they can sale. I'm getting sellers who I call reluctant seller financers. They call and say, okay, you know, I can't see them. That two buyers fall out already. I don't really want to carry back paper. If I do, what would you buy it for? So we're now, we, we're still waiting for the 2022 numbers. Usually they're out by now. They're a little late, but I'm sure 2022 will have gone up and I, I, the positive 2023 will be even higher. Yeah. I, I can only imagine, you know, with interest rates on the trajectory that they're on that seller financing at possibly a lower rate than, you know, what the 10 year is or, or what the, the conventional mortgage rate is now will be a, you know, a more easy sell for those of us out there that are looking to seller finance deals because the purchase prices that we're seeing now, or the listing prices that we're seeing now simply don't compute for, you know, for a lot of the, the, the cost of capital that most people have as investors. So Possibly that's why we're hearing, I'm hearing more about seller financing more recently, but I mean, the numbers that you just outlined show that it's been a very robust, uh, industry. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's move on to the next segment of the show. And this is the legacy round. It's an opportunity for you, Marco, to have an open forum and discuss your favorite acquisition, you know, that 
change the trajectory of your life or your business, practical tips to growing your portfolio, or tips on how to in, in, how to network with other investors and people in the real estate space. You can take one, you can take all. It's your time to shine, my friend. Okay. Deals. I, I My deals are mostly singles and doubles. When I was building my portfolio over the last couple of years, interest rates were so low and I was still building my business. Anything that looked really, really good, uh, premium type, seller finance paper, I, I wholesale those to make the fees. I could get top dollar for buyers. I could make good commission, good wholesale fees. And that's what I did. So I kept these, this bin of misfit notes. I bought a note where there's no payment due until 2026. I bought, you know, seller perform, seller finance seconds, which some people won't do. I bought you know, some, some kind of oddball notes. And then the nature of notes is that, um, yes, I buy at a discount and yes, I get to boost up the, the yield because I do that. But the real payoff comes when there's, when there is a payoff, an early payoff, hopefully, or a refinance, which we won't see as many refinances now. So I don't have any super exciting, um, seller finance deal acquisitions that the thing, and I taught a, a class recently that I like to tell people whether they're in buying paper or property or anything is that one job in the beginning, I found this out early on. I was really afraid to talk to the note holders on the phone. I didn't like the word no. It was like, it, it made me feel bad. It kicked me in the feelings every time. So sales training will tell you to get used to it where no and no is good. And I really am not a salesperson. I just like to find a way to connect with people. So I just took a lot of pressure off myself. And I, I recommend this approach for the other introverts out there in the world who are afraid of people. I took a lot of pressure off myself by just deciding, well, it's really just my job to make the phone ring and talk to note holders and that's it. And then from there, I'm not attached to the outcome. And the magic started to happen when I was no longer attached to the outcome. That's, then it was just a conversation. That, I like that's, that a lot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chief. Oh yeah. I was going to say, I like that a lot. And, and I, I actually, I hope, I think there's a lot of trainings out there actually who, that also tell you to get to the no faster. Right. So then you can you can get towards that working a solution. And I know you to be that type of person is to to work through that solution. But I think that's so great. The the idea of have having it in your mind to be just just to make the make the phone ring. So Yeah, and and, and to sort of add on to to that point, I've been to, you know, capital raising camps and seminars and things of that nature. And and this quite frankly works in any sales capacity, whether whether you're looking to, you know, find possible uh, seller finance notes that, that you can you can purchase for your portfolio or you're raising capital or or you're selling software, anything. If you act more as a gardener than as a hunter, you tend to do better in that if you sort of plant the seeds of, hey, I'm interested in real estate. I know how to creatively finance property so people that are in an obscure situation can do well after they've dealt with me. Or, you know, I know this neighborhood very well and, and I, can, I can help you with some of the buyers that possibly are interested in this neighborhood. That's an, a lot better conversation to have than to go say, hey, you know, let me do this deal with you because X, Y, Z. And, you know, putting out that information maybe in your immediate network, maybe going to events or coming on podcasts and talking about what you do is gardening, or as if you're just banging the phones and, and, and hunting people down, that's like the hunting of, of 
that that sort of analogy. And gardening just happens to give people the comfort to come to you with their problems as opposed to you sort of tracking them down and and getting it that way. So th- that's something that I've sort of adhered to when when I try to raise capital or do anything that's sales adjacent. And it's worked out pretty well for me. That's really well said, Ike. I really like. All right. I'm I'm gonna do my my best Dre impression here for our, our last our last segment, uh, the Giordano round. And this is where we or myself and Chi will ask you six rapid fire questions and you give our audience deep, deep uh, hearty, thick slices of information that they'll be able to digest and and enjoy as the uh, the conclusion of the show. She's got all excited when you say this, and I'm getting nervous. We'll no, his, no, I just, I love his impression of drinks. Make <laughs> me laugh. I mean, I, I, if I really wanted to do it well, I'd have to take my voice like five octaves lower, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For anybody who's ever read, like, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, he talks about that late night FM DJ voice. Uh-huh. Ray definitely has that. So <laughs> it's funny. I'm over here up here and he's all the way down here. So, okay, but let's start. Yeah, um, let's do it. So I'll, I'll start off and we'll go back and forth and we'll, we'll go from there. All right. So number one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What would you scream out to the world and want them to remember you by? Then I was able to help people. Talking about my career, I get to help people. They'll contact me because they sometimes they need money, but they they they're ready to move on from something. And if I can be the person who just hears them and helps them, I feel good. I like it. it. Makes for a fulfilling career for sure. All right, number two. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started, or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? They'll be attached to the outcome. That changed everything for me. It wasn't, I've, I've spent many tens of thousands of dollars in education. But that one thing is number one. I like that. In fact, I, I was listening to a, an entrepreneurship podcast. Again, this is how the rapid fire round ends up not being rapid fire. But, <laughs> but um, you know, the person I was speaking said, you know, be a perfectionist about how you go about your business, but you know, don't be a perfectionist about the outcomes in your business and, and sort of, you know, what you have control over is your process and, you know, how determined and diligent you are. You don't necessarily have control over the outcome. So be a perfectionist about the things you have control over. So I really like that answer a lot. Number three, vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? And you can obviously, you know, tailor that to more towards note investing as well. Can it start with an F and F four letters? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> what word should note investors know? Equity. The ultimate payor of uh, any secured asset is the security. It's not the buyer. It's not the buyer, the borrower. Yes, you want the payments to continue coming in, but the security comes from the, the real estate if it's a real estate secured asset. So equity. Yep. Yep. That's a Bill 10. I learned that from Bill 10, actually. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number four. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Um, I'm an ongoing member of 
um, a group run by Tracy Z and Fred Rui. Uh, they're known investors. Um, they're ethical human beings. They're, they're good souls. They, they connect with people. And, uh, and I learned a lot from, from them both. I continued. Everybody talks about Jimmy Napier and Best in Doubt. That's a great book. It's kind of out of print, but if you go to uh, GaryJohnston.com, um, he sells them through his website. And then we live in an incredible time. Chi, I don't know if you were on Bill's meeting last night. Um, so Bill Cook was supposed to be who I, so I have several, Fred and Tracy, Bill Tan, um, and then I'm going to name a few. I mentioned John Schaub, who influenced me early on, and he was in the LA Rivera meeting two nights ago, and I could listen to him forever. Bina Jones-Cox is incredible and is doing incredible stuff. Uh, I was lucky. She asked me to co-teach one of the classes that her group produces uh, a few weeks ago. I got to do that. I I felt pretty honored by that. But last night, we're going to talk about someone else. Um, There's someone by the name of Peter Fortunato, and um, he's a complete wizard of of creative finance. I mean, he's in his 70s, and he's been doing real estate, you know, longer than any of us have been alive, and he's active as they can be. Um, so last week, Pete had a quad quintuple bypass last week. He left the hospital two days ago. He was on Bill Tiddin's meeting on zoom last night. He just showed up on the, in the meeting Wow! and Bill Cook said, wait, Pete's here. Why don't we switch it up and just do back and forth with Pete? So Bill did a little back and forth with Pete Q and a stuff, but then people just started firing questions out. Pete answered one of mine about, um, life estates because I have an opportunity to, to buy a portion of a life estate right now, which I know nothing about. And Pete off the top of his head taught me more than probably any book would on the topic. And he answered a bunch of other people's questions. It was incredible. So we live at a time where there's still some, you know, sort of Jedi masters among us who I, I just take advantage of that as, as much as I can. What a gift. I love that. I'm so sad I missed that meeting. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, but Pete also, uh, when I first asked him my first question, he also was, he told me to do a life estate on a, on a note as well. So oh. there's a theme there. Yep. No, this one was, and we're way off topic. Somebody called me, you know, I get calls. I actually get calls from people who have notes secured by businesses and all kinds of different real estate scenario. Some people think I have my property, so I get those calls, but this is somebody whose um, mother's in hospice. He and his brother are uh, have the remainderman interest split of a life estate. A life estate is the person who grants the grantor of the life estate, grants it to somebody, but they still have continued use and rights to the property until they die. That's called the life estate. So somebody would like to sell their interest, they own half of the life estate is what's called a remainder. Never bought a life estate before, but, but I talked to T Fortunato about it and he gave me some pretty good ideas. So, so we'll see, stay tuned on that one. All right. Number five, what is the most important skill to build, to be successful in real estate investing? Consistency. My first year of business, because I didn't like no, and because I was fumbling my way through the marketing and, and talking to sellers, um, I was. I took my foot off the accelerator here and there, and that's fine. I wouldn't criticize myself or anybody for doing that. But um, the consistency really started to make a difference. Yep, that is that is key. All right, number six. What is the very first action you would advise a brand new investor to take to start their journey in real estate? Learn the financial calculator. 
that's that's built in stuff too, Chi. I know, but it's it's true. It's true. The numbers are become less scary when when one knows the financial calculator. Oh yeah, I love I love the financial calculator. It is the best best app out there. So best six bucks I've ever spent. I <laughs> That's right. All right, Marco. Before we let you go, how can our listeners reach out to you and uh, you know get a little bit more of your knowledge? The best way to stay in touch with me is through my newsletter. You can sign up on my website. It's about uh, newsletter dot newsletter.porchswingfunding.com. And you'll get an email from me every Sunday, uh, pretty lightweight. I don't sell there. I don't charge for the, the newsletter. I'm a fan of seller financing. I hope that comes across in the conversation we had today. I like the individuals working with individuals. And, and I think it's a, it's an, it's seller financing steps in where institutional lenders, uh, fall flat. And we're, we see more today. They can't finance everything. So. So I like to support that cause, but you'll also get an email from me, which you can respond to and has all my contact information or just email me directly. It's Marco at porchswingfunding.com. Call me. I like to talk on the phone because I'm old. <laughs> it's 818-330-1100. And people tell me that when I say that out loud, millennials like melts because they don't know how to talk on the phone, I guess. Like, give me a call. It's a lost start. It's a lost start. Well, thank you, Marco, for coming on the show. Audience, thank you guys for joining in and tuning into the show to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Be sure to go to www.multifamilybytheslice.com and leave us a five-star review. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for your time. For Chi, for Marco, for myself, signing off. <laughs>